Thanks, Tim. Um, hi, everyone. Um, we're, we're in our series, Voices of the Cross. And as you may have worked out, today it's the Roman centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion. And the subject is revelation. God speaking to us and revealing more of himself to us. Now we joined Matthew's Gospel in that passage that Debbie Sokani read at a very sombre moment. The Son of God is being put to death in a quite barbaric and very public way and to make matters even worse the Pharisees, the religious leaders are using it as an opportunity to taunt him, to challenge him um, on his claim to be the Son of God. I guess it's not a surprise because much earlier in his ministry Jesus had characterised the leaders in this way. He said, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly, because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you're missing the wood for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am, standing right in front of you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. That's quite strong stuff. And then again, in Matthew, that was from John chapter 5, in Matthew 23, Jesus said to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs which are beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I think as we think about the the religious leaders hurling their insults at Jesus, it's very easy for us to simply agree with what Jesus said, that that his view of the Pharisees and them. But I think, I just want to caution, I think we should be careful that we don't fall into the same trap as the Pharisees and the religious leaders. After all, there are some Christians who have their heads in the Bible and yet treat it like some kind of dry academic book, very interesting to study in an ivory tower kind of way or perhaps in a legalistic way. But when they read the Bible, does it make a difference to their lives? Do they hear Jesus speak to them? I want to read another passage now, which is Jesus again. This is in John chapter 10, when he's talking about being the good shepherd. And he says, My sheep recognise my voice. I call them by name and lead them out. They follow because they are familiar with my voice. And then later he adds, I have other sheep too. That's us, the Gentiles. I need to gather and bring them too. They will also recognise my voice then it will be one flock, one shepherd. So we may malign the Pharisees, but do we recognise Jesus' voice when he speaks into our lives today? Are we willing to receive his offer of life? I think it's also easy as a Christian to become focused on the outward appearance, being seen to go to church, to the CU, to be at the prayer meeting, or whatever it is that's deemed important. But on the inside, to be spiritually empty. Now, please don't think I am pointing a finger at anyone here other than myself, because I know this firsthand. I spent about 15 years of my adult life not listening to Jesus speak. Even though I was reading the Bible regularly, I was attending all the right services, I was giving faithfully to the church we were part of. Despite all those outward appearances, on the inside it felt like I was gradually dying spiritually. It wasn't always like that for me. 
Looking back, being a mathematician, I like to divide my life up into roughly 15-year periods. <laughs> this only came to me while I was working on the sermon. Sadly, I'm coming to the end of the fourth of those 15-year periods. Um, the first 15 years, I was a mainly happy child, I think, but there was no spiritual dimension to my life. Then, at the age of 15, I heard the good news. I invited Jesus into my life. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I became an enthusiastic and passionate follower of Jesus. And I heard him speak words of truth, encouragement, challenge, guidance into my life. So that second 15 years was a pretty good one. But sadly, the next one from age, well, roughly age 30 to 45, was not more of the same. This was the time I just described when my life was so busy and cluttered with work and family responsibilities, outwardly, Things still looked fine, but inwardly I wasn't listening to Jesus. I was shutting down my heart and dying spiritually. But this passage with the centurion has got some real good news in it for me. Well, for all of us, really. The religious leaders may have missed who Jesus is, but God revealed Jesus' identity to a Roman centurion. So this man was a pagan, He didn't have any knowledge, well, he probably didn't have any knowledge of Yahweh or the the scriptures. He was probably not an educated man. I mean, he knew, he was used to taking orders and giving orders, and he knew how to organise a good crucifixion, if you'll excuse that phrase. We don't know what it was that caused the centurion to exclaim, surely he was the Son of God. It could have been the darkness, the earthquake, or maybe just something about the way Jesus died. Most likely, I think it was a combination of all of them and probably more, because this was a man who'd seen many crucifixions, many deaths, and yet something about Jesus' death was different. God spoke powerfully to him through the death, through Jesus' death. And the good news for me was that when I was 46, God spoke to me, even little old me, in a very direct way through a specific answer to a question which I had literally thrown at him more in desperation than in any hope that he would actually answer me but to my surprise God did answer me he spoke in a voice I suspect it was actually a voice inside my head but it was so real and so clearly not my own voice or my own head that I actually turned around to see who it was who'd spoken to me and there was no one there. I think it happened because I asked, or rather demanded, an answer from God, because I was getting desperate, basically. So I want to just think about now revelation and wisdom and contrast the two. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 17 of his letter, he said to them, I pray that God will give you a spirit of both wisdom and revelation so that you will know God better. Now as followers of Jesus we should pursue wisdom yes of course but we mustn't neglect the revelation bit as well we need a balance between wisdom and revelation some Christians seem to think revelation comes only from the Bible, you know God has spoken in the Bible, it's there, that's it well of course God speaks through the Bible, the Bible is, it's bedrock, it's foundational We need the Holy Spirit if it's to become a living word, something that changes our lives rather than 
an academic or legalistic sort of book. But the Bible isn't the only way that God speaks to us. Um, for one thing, the Bible itself is full of stories of God speaking to people in a myriad of different ways, not just through the Bible. So here's a few examples. Jacob, while sleeping, has that vision of a stairway to heaven and the angels going up and down. And then later in his life, this is the most impressive bit, he physically wrestles with God and gets his new name Israel, which means God wrestler. Deborah was a judge and a prophet of Israel. She hears God's voice and guides, skillfully guides the Israelite army into the battle in which they overthrow the oppression of the king of Canaan. Gideon, he's probably my favourite. Gideon is a small, frightened man in a, hiding in a wine press when an angel turns up and addresses him as mighty warrior. Later, when Gideon's about to go into battle, he's got 32,000 men, you think, great. God tells him to send most of them home. In fact, God says he'll enable him to win the battle with just 300 men. The most impressive thing is Gideon believes God and sends the men home and God comes through. You'll notice that sometimes revelation kind of goes against wisdom. It wasn't wise. It didn't seem wise to send all those troops home, but God's plan involved showing that it was God that was bringing them victory, not the 32,000 men. So sometimes this is why there is this tension between them, because sometimes God's revelation will go against what we might think of as wisdom. In the New Testament, Saul, the arch-Pharisee who'd been persecuting Jesus' followers all over the place, meets the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and has his life turned upside down. Now, you might be thinking, well, Andrew, you've chosen some exceptional people. That's why they had such a direct revelation from God. They're not like you and me. I disagree strongly. The Bible, first of all, the Bible is a book of examples. It's not a book of exceptions. You only have to look at the people like Jacob and Gideon and Saul to realise they were far from perfect. It's a book of examples. That's why it's such a good handbook for our lives. Secondly, the Roman centurion wasn't any, well, with the greatest respect to the Roman centurion, he wasn't anyone special, but he received a direct revelation of who Jesus is. Finally, Saul. Now, I, I will admit, Saul was special, but he wouldn't even have begun his apostolic career if it hadn't been for a person very much like you and me, uh, Ananias, who lived in Damascus, was just an ordinary follower of Jesus, he was the lucky man that whilst praying, Jesus said to him, go to Straight Street, find this person called Saul, pray for him, restore his sight, restore his sight and baptise him. And if you read the account in Acts 9, you can see that Ananias wasn't totally convinced that this was a good idea. He had this conversational intimacy with Jesus. He listened and then he pushed back because he knew what Saul, he'd heard about Saul and he knew what he was doing in Damascus. But Jesus reassures him. And Ananias listens and goes. And Paul's apostolic journeys begin. But from the, again, from the perspective of wisdom, Ananias was taking quite a risk going to visit Paul. I think it's going to visit Saul. I think we need to cultivate this conversational intimacy that Ananias shows us in our own lives if we're to be able to tune into God and receive his revelation. And we do need God's revelation. We need it in the big things. Which job should I go for? Should I get married? And also in the small ones, should I go to London tomorrow or on Tuesday? 
Although in my experience, if we're lear- when we're learning, and I am still learning, to hear God's voice, it's better to start with the small things, the things which aren't so pressured. And sometimes it's not just, I, I was talking about guidance there, decisions, but sometimes it's not guidance, it's encouragement that we need from God's revelation. So how does it all work? Well, many of you already know this. Revelation is almost always very personal. God will speak in a way that's very specific to you and touches your heart but it will be different from the way that he reveals himself to me of course he speaks through the bible but he also speaks through dreams creation uh, beauty the words of a friend the music you're listening to a film you're watching i think the thing i've learned is you have to be alert and expecting him to speak otherwise you're probably going to miss it sometimes you'll get the same message twice in different ways which is really helpful confirmation from God. I suppose the fundamental thing I've learned in the last 12 years is that when the creator of the universe speaks to you and you know that he has, it is so powerful. And the best thing about those 12 years is that I've started to listen to God's, or been able to listen to God's voice again and develop that conversational intimacy. It's made a huge difference. It doesn't mean your life is easy. It doesn't mean everything's crystal clear but it will be a much richer life than the alternative. And I was just looking back over the last 12 years, thinking, well, what difference has it made? I suppose under God's prompting, I gave up my job of 25 years, I started a small business, um, I sold the family home, I bought one in the Highlands of Scotland, what was that about? I battled some unexpected health issues that just seemed to linger, I sold the business, and so on. And some of those decisions were definitely not what I thought was the wise thing to do. I think often God's revelation can be gentle though, low-key even, but still really, really helpful for us as we walk with him through our lives. I've got an example. I wonder whether this is a bit trite, but I'm going to go with it anyway. At the start of every year, I ask God what his word or message is for the year ahead. I find it so much more helpful than New Year's resolutions, which I never keep. At the end of 2018, I was asking him this question while looking out the window of the Scottish home at a mountain across the other side of the loch. It's about two miles away, and from where I was standing, it looks just like a, you know, a triangle. It's fairly two-dimensional from that distance. And God gave me this word, perspective, and I wasn't quite sure what he meant, but I thought it was something to do with this mountain. Anyway, on New Year's Day 2019, we were going to climb this mountain, and as we started to go up, I realised that it wasn't a two-dimensional triangle, it was actually a very complicated mountain. They're all complicated, but this particularly. And then as we got closer to the summit, the whole vista beyond it opened up. This is stuff you can't see from the house. There's two more peaks. One of them is called Anstuk, and this is part of the Ben Laws range, and it's this shark fin of a point. It's quite dramatic. Um, If Jonathan and Aurelia are here, they know all about it, because I climbed it with them in 2020, and Jonathan, in the process of Jonathan's boot disintegrating. So it is, quite, it is quite a stimulating climb, as we found out then. Anyway, the point in 2019 was that I felt God saying to me, you had that perspective from what you saw yesterday. Now look what you can see when you're here. You needed, I felt it was about I needed a different perspective on God's world and on what I was supposed to be doing in it. 
And then a few weeks later, I was watching a film, First Man. It's about Neil Armstrong and Apollo 11. It's quite a slow, downbeat film. I'm not really selling it. And I was losing concentration. But suddenly, I woke up when Armstrong was being interviewed by NASA. They asked him, as one of his questions, why he thought space exploration was important. And instead of saying something you know, bland but sensible like, oh, it's important for science sake, he said something far more interesting. He said, I think it will allow us to see things that maybe we should have seen a long time ago, but just haven't been able to until now. That really woke me up and struck me as being from God for me, because it was talking about getting a different perspective. Anyway, a few days later, I read the start of Colossians and the message, and then it all became abundantly clear. So, if you're, it's chapter 3, sorry, in Colossians. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Now, I know that's the message. I know that isn't the NIV. But that, to me, just chimed with everything that God had been saying. I I knew that getting Jesus' perspective was going to be really important for me that year, well, and in all subsequent years. It may feel like a silly example, but 12 years ago, I wouldn't have noticed any of that revelation. And I think that it does demonstrate the way that God, if he wants to tell us something, will tell us in different ways. We just need to be aware and alert to it. So what about our Roman centurion? Where do you think he went from the cross? Well, I think if you saw a man die and you had a revelation that he was the son of God, you would have, looked, you would have kept a close eye on what happened next. So I believe our centurion would have heard about Jesus' resurrection, or at least the rumours about Jesus' resurrection, and if see, he would have seen the attempts by the authorities in Jerusalem to suppress that idea. And also, I guess, witnessed the birth of the fledgling church. When he retired a few years later, he would probably have been pensioned off to a Roman colony because they never liked retired soldiers being anywhere near Rome. And I like to think that he'd have gone to somewhere like Philippi, become a Christian and join the local church. Certainly if you look at all the names Paul gives in his letters, many of them are Roman names, and I wonder whether Arson Turin was amongst them. Um, got a little bit of homework for you. If you've never watched the film Risen, then I suggest you get hold of it and watch it in the run-up to Easter. It's not about our centurion, it's about another Roman soldier, the leader of the Roman garrison in Jerusalem, and what he discovers when he sets about investigating the, well, the events surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection. He's basically asked by Pilate to try and find out what's happened to Jesus' body. It's fiction, of course, or at least the involvement of this Roman commander is fiction. But the events it describes about the resurrection and the disciples are taken directly from the Gospels and the start of Acts. So it's a really helpful way to get us to think about what it was like for Jesus' followers after his, in, the, in the weeks after his resurrection and before the ascension. Finally, let's come back to our subject, revelation and recognising God's voice. I'm going to suggest we have a time of prayer, a time of listening, just a short time. Perhaps the band could come back up now so we can go straight from this prayer 
into a final song or two. Thank you. Um, before I pray, I was going to read. I wanted to read some words from David in Psalm 18. David was a man with a real intimacy with God. Um, so Matthew, I don't know whether you want to put those up. Um, just, I'll just read these before I pray and before we listen. Um, God made my life complete when I put all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day, this is the bit I like, every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. So I'm going to pray now. Um, Perhaps you pray with me. I'm going to pray in the first person so you can join in if you want to. And if the band want to start with a little bit of background music, that's great. My dear Lord Jesus, I open the book of my heart to your eyes. Jesus, there's a lot of clutter in there, there's a lot of brokenness, but I don't want to try and hide any of that from you. I put all these pieces before you, Jesus, and ask for you to speak into my life, your love, your truth, your wisdom, your guidance, your revelation. We'll just pause here um, while Ruby's playing and just wait and see whether God wants to say something to each one of us in our own hearts. Jesus, if something's been said or something's been prompted, then you might want to share that with someone afterwards and and get them to pray through that with you. Could be someone you know, someone you came with, or you can head over to that side of the church, which is on your left, and there'll be some people over there who would love to pray with you if you'd like to pray. I'm just going to close that prayer now. Jesus, thank you for speaking. I know this life is a journey, it's a process. I know that sometimes my sense of timing is different from yours and sometimes the answers I want don't seem to come immediately. But I want to walk with you day by day. Help me to be alert to your ways each and every day and not to miss your voice because of all the rest of the noise in in our lives that's blocking it out. 
So Jesus, I want to receive your offer of life, life to the full. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.